I think what we're seeing is what a lot of people see across the United States that are serviced by AMR or any of their subsidiaries and that they're not staffing or providing the number of units that they need to cover an area. Angeles. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. If your department doesn't operate its own ambulances, that means a third-party operator is transporting your patients. But what happens when that company doesn't meet your standards for response time? It can become a real problem, our guest today says, and it isn't always easy to solve. Fire Chief Scott Freitag has been on Code 3 a couple of times before. He heads up the Central Arizona Fire and Medical Authority, or CAFMA. They cover Yavapai County, Arizona. Chief Freitag has been pushing his local ambulance provider to improve their resources. But he's met resistance, so he's started running his own borrowed ambulances, which by law are called rescues in Arizona. He's trying to get the states okay to do it officially, and the story behind that situation is interesting. You may also find it frustrating. And Scott Freitag joins me now to explain all this. Welcome back to Code 3. Scott, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's good to talk with you again. It's been a while. It has. It's always good to have you on. So today we're talking about a specific problem that you guys are having that other people may have in their jurisdictions as well. Before we get into it, why don't you give us the landscape of how many people you serve, how much, how many square miles, and so on. Sure. So, Central Arizona Fire and Medical Authority, we surround the city of Prescott in Arizona. We cover 369 square miles out of 10 full-time stations. We have 165 personnel at this time. That is uh, operations as well as non-ops staff. And we protect... About 110,000 residents. So you sound like a fairly large department for what you consider to be a rural area. A lot of people refer to us as a rural agency, but, you know, we have a lot of suburban area as well as rural and fairly densely populated and growing more every day. And you also help cover the metro area of, of the city of Prescott. We back up Prescott, and Prescott backs us up. And, and at this time, Prescott Valley, as of the last census, is actually larger than the city of Prescott is. Okay, so that gives us an idea of what you face every day. Yes. So we're talking now about a shortage of ambulances that, to respond to medical calls. And, of course, like most departments, I'm assuming that most of your runs are EMS-based these days. They, they absolutely are. What is the problem that you've discovered working with Lifeline Ambulance, which is a company owned by AMR? That's correct. AMR is owned by GMR, which is owned by a hedge fund called KKR out of out of New York. So they're not a, a locally based company any longer. 
I think what we're seeing is what a lot of people see across the United States that are serviced by AMR or any of their subsidiaries and that they are not staffing or providing the number of units that they need to cover an area. And for us, we started complaining about things over six years ago at this point, a lack of service with response times on occasion, upwards of 45 minutes. And back then, they had approximately 11 staffed units in the system. You have to be careful with AMR, you have to say staffed units, because they'll tell you there's 11 ambulances in the area. But then if you push them and say, well, how many of them are actually staffed? You'll hear two, three, four. So they're claiming they have more units than they actually do by manipulating the terms a little bit. Yes. And we've been at what's what's called level zero from July 2nd through the first part of November over 550 times. Level zero means there's no ambulances available. What AMR will tell you is that only lasts for a minute or two, but we have the radio or the, the phone recordings the conversation between AMR dispatch and our Prescott Regional Communications Center and their dispatch is telling us, hey, we don't have uh, an ambulance to send to this call, this call, this call, or this call, three or four at a time. So that's not level zero for minutes. That's level zero for an extended period of time. Now, since we started publicly playing that traffic, they've had their dispatch start using different words. They describe it differently. We're expediting from the hospital. We're not at level zero, but we don't have to have an ambulance to send, which is level zero. So they're, they're trying to change the wording so it doesn't sound as bad when we take the recordings and play them publicly. Now, you've been fighting this for quite a while, but there was a time when you were just sort of mentioning it offhandedly, and now you've started fighting it actively in social media. Have things become worse, or have you guys just gotten tired of having to deal with not having the medical help? The, the problem has gotten significantly worse. As I said, six years ago, we had 11 units staffed in the system. Today, we're typically three or four that are advanced life support, which means they have paramedics on them. Um, and with, on occasion, we'll have up to six or seven, but two or three of those will be basic life support or EMT only. And that's when, you know, if we arrive at a, a call for a patient and they try to use critical or non-critical, but the reality is if you fracture your leg and our paramedic starts an IV and provides narcotic medications, you're non-critical, but you do require advanced care, which means the paramedic has to write in. So on that particular type of call, it may only take one paramedic. Well, if AMR was staffing the way they're supposed to, their medic and their EMT would simply take the patient to the hospital at that point. Now we have to pull our engine out of service and put uh, our paramedic and equipment on there to transport. So the problem has definitely become more dire over the years. Our call volume alone has gone up in, in the same amount of time, a little over six years, we've gone up over 40% in our call volume and we've added additional capacity to address the call volume. They've actually reduced the number of units in the system, which has really created the issue. But we, our, our biggest problem, Scott, was trying to get the, the state and the media to listen to us. And it wasn't until 
AMR, we started running rescues. We borrowed, they look like ambulances, but in the state of Arizona, we call them rescues. We borrowed some from the city of Mesa, borrowed one from Northwest Fire District, uh, the Tucson area. And we just decided, look, we're going to start transporting patients when we can't get an ambulance to provide uh, transport. So AMR started filing complaints with the state of, state of Arizona about us transporting. And they filed one in July that had 15 complaints listed. The state said they opened an investigation. That's what the document said that they sent us for medically unnecessary transports. And the first one listed was an eight month old in cardiac arrest. So before you started actively using rescues of your own, you guys found yourselves responding to calls where you were sitting there with a patient waiting and waiting. Did it ever come to be that you decided to use an engine to transport a patient yourselves? Yes, we would we'd be waiting on scene. could be 45 minutes, an hour, or over an hour. And so we started transporting and treating patients in their own private vehicles if we couldn't get them in an engine, or we transport in the engine. And I think my colleagues out there would agree with me that that is not a good way to, to handle it. There's not a better way if, it, if it's between getting a critical patient to the hospital or leaving them on scene for an hour, hour and a half waiting. We weighed that with our medical control, but it just wasn't working and it wasn't good for the patients. It wasn't good for the overall system. And it added a lot of extra step stress for our crews. What was the response that you received from AMR when you would tell them that you were going to transport anyway instead of waiting for 90 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever? If we were transporting in an engine or the patient's private vehicle, they really didn't say anything. It's when we started using these rescues that AMR really started expressing a lot of concerns. I will point out just quickly that on three separate occasions, while they were filing complaints about us running the rescues, AMR contacted our dispatch requesting us to respond to the rescues outside of our area to back them up because they couldn't get an ambulance to respond to a call that they were responsible for. What you're saying is you started using extra equipment to cover these calls so you wouldn't have to use an engine to carry somebody to the hospital. AMR didn't like it, but at the same time they were complaining about it to the Arizona state officials. Their dispatchers were asking you to respond rescues out to help them anyway? Yes. No, that just seems unreasonable. That they could have it both ways. They could complain about it and also ask for your help anyway. Well, and AMR stated, we weren't filing complaints. We were just asking questions. However... In the notice of investigation we received from the state of Arizona, in the first paragraph, it says we've received multiple complaints about, it doesn't say that they received questions, so they received multiple complaints about these calls. In my estimation, if AMR had a question, they would have reached out and called our EMS chief, not filed complaints with the state. What has happened uh, in terms of these, the state receiving these complaints? What have they done in, in response to what AMR called questions, but what they received as complaints? The state just sent us a letter not long ago that said we were no longer under investigation and that the complaints were unfounded. And so 
as far as we know, no additional complaints have been filed against us. Now, we have ramped up the pressure significantly via social media, as well as other media outlets, and using our podcast that, that we have for Calf Month. And I'd like to have your opinion of how effective you think that's been so far to go straight to the public. We have had a lot of public feedback on the educational efforts that we're undertaking. I guess how effective is it? It it seems our CON is moving through the process that's a certificate of necessity to run ambulances in the state of Arizona a little bit more quickly than it may otherwise. And we do have a meeting set up here soon uh, with some of the governor's staff to have a conversation about the situation. Because while we talked about it before, it's, it's never been this bad. And it's, it's every day we're transporting patients because they can't provide the resources. The, the other side of that, Scott, is I just learned this morning that the regional manager for AMR Lifeline in our area was just deployed under a governmental contract with AMR to the East Coast provide additional ambulance services in areas where there's a critical need. What I don't understand is if if AMR can can fulfill a federal contract and send units across the country and pull people from this area, why can't they simply provide enough units and staffing to cover what they're responsible for in Arizona? It does seem a little contradictory. You're you're headed toward receiving a CON, as far as you can tell. We have to go still go through the process, and that's where in the state of Arizona it's backwards, and that the director of the Department of Health Services doesn't get to make the determination up front. Uh, AMR gets to take us through a hearing first that can run up costs as much as a half million to a million dollars in legal fees. Then that hearing officer will hand down a non-binding recommendation to the director, then the director will determine needs. So if AMR chooses to fight us on this, it's just going to drag it out longer, and we don't know how long the hearings will take to get through. It's pretty well known, I think, that EMS runs don't generate a whole lot of profit for an ambulance operator. Normally, they make most of their money from inter-facility transfers. Has there been any discussion of the idea that they could confine themselves strictly to that and allow Capma to do EMS runs? Well, you know, that that's actually a, a great idea, Scott, and that's what we would like to see is that our CON is not for any interfacility transport. It is only to run 911 as part of the 911 system. That, that leaves all the profit-making to the private company, but AMR doesn't want to give up any ground that they have. So they haven't been willing to do that, even though it would allow them to dump off the part that they might see as a as a requirement they don't want. Right. And, and their argument would be, if you were to ask them that question, is that they have tried to work with me and I have refused. I think you were still here, Scott, when we worked with AMR and tried to talk to them about joint staffing units or, you know, what were some of the options to improve service in the system. And every time we sat down at the table and came up with ideas, they would leave the table and never get back with us. 
It wasn't until another private ambulance company submitted a CON for this area, an, an application, that AMR suddenly was desperate to talk to us about an agreement. But the agreement that they offer doesn't provide any additional capacity in the system. It does have a clause that says I cannot speak publicly about any of the response challenges that we have, and I cannot file any complaints with the state regarding response challenges. And they're not allowed under the state to write anything in there about waiving their right to intervene in our CON. So what they're stating is, well, if you just sign this agreement, we won't intervene except that every other time in the state of Arizona that they have told someone that, and those entities agreed, AMR ultimately intervened anyways, despite the agreement that they had, because it's a verbal agreement. They can't put that in writing. And in one case, they did put it in writing in a separate document with uh, Dignity Health Systems, and they intervened anyways. So from my perspective, Scott, when I look at their historical behavior, what they've done over the years, I see a pattern of the same thing. Why would I think that me signing this document would do anything different than anybody else has ever had, change any experience anybody else has ever had with this company? It doesn't make sense. It's, it's repeating the same thing over again, expecting a, a different outcome just to say we tried it, and that doesn't make sense to me. How is the CON application process for this other ambulance provider coming along? I know that they completed their hearings, but I don't know where they're at in the process. I'm not allowed to speak with them at this point, in part because AMR's attorneys made me part of the hearing for this private company, asking anyone that came to the stand in favor of this private company coming up here what their relationship is with me personally. I thought the hearing was about Priority Ambulance, the company. I didn't realize that the hearing was about me, the fire chief, who isn't even testifying. It sounds like they made it personal. It, it seems that way to me. The other side of this, Scott, is if I signed this agreement with AMR, that undermined Priority's hearing because AMR could then go back to the courts or the director and say, we have the contract for the city of Prescott and for all of Kathmandu's area. There's no need for another ambulance service up here because there's nowhere for them to run. That would be counter to what the elected officials and community leaders told me they wanted. They said, look, you having a CON is fine. We want another private company up here as well. And to me, my, my marching orders at that point were recruit another private company to put in a CON application for up here, and then look at yours. Have you heard from anyone else who's in a similar situation wanting to conference with you on what they might be able to do? You know, there's several fire departments around the state of Arizona that are having similar issues. So Casa Grande down in, I think it's Pinal County, up in Mojave County, Kingman Fire Department and Lake Havasu are having significant issues. But those chiefs right now, they don't want to speak publicly because they either have their C1 application in or AMR has told them that, hey, it will work with you on this. And, and they've decided to go with that. I, I don't see that here. 
I think the only reason they want to work with them in Mojave County is because Priority Ambulance has not put in, submitted an application for CON in Mojave County. If they were to work with the fire departments up there, that would keep priority out of the area and allow them to maintain a monopoly over even the air facility transports, which for me personally, from 911 perspective, the, the inner facilities aren't my deal, but I do think it's a concern when hospitals express concerns about extended response times to the state who regulates the ambulance service and the state says, those are private contracts, they're not our issue. But at the same time, they will allow those hospital institutions to even try to get another ambulance service to provide services to them. So basically, you're stuck with AMR. Yep, they're not doing the job. Too bad for you. What outcome do you foresee if you have an approval on your own CON? What do you foresee Lifeline doing? I see them, if we put up two ambulances, I see them moving ambulances out of our area. And that's historically what AMR has done across the state when a fire department has obtained their CON. They started moving ambulances to other areas or discontinuing their use. So if there's not another private company up here, then I see us starting with two, but pretty quickly increasing the number of ambulances we have to meet the call demand. Because if we don't, then we're doing the same thing AMR is doing, which is not providing the requisite number of units. Well, that's, that sounds like a big can of worms because if you're going to complain that Lifeline is not staffing correctly and then they dump out, then you're required to do better than what they're doing now. Exactly. Part of that is because we have a commitment to our community that, that we will provide them services and, and take care of them. And that's what we will do. As a matter of fact, the plan, even if we have two ambulances in service at, at first, we'll have two reserve ambulance units and we'll take those two units, put them out at other fire stations so that if there is a shortage of ambulances in the area, we can staff those two additional units and add capacity to the system. If this other private company is successful in obtaining their CON for the area, then we'll put out a request for proposal and we will sign a contract with one of the two private companies that is able to operate in this area, which everyone can provide us service. And then we would have an agreement with them that it's closest unit response within CAFMA's jurisdiction. So it could be your unit or it could be a CAFMA unit. It depends on who's closer. So they need to be within our CAD system and uh, working or operating within our communications network to provide the best possible service allowing that other company to focus more on the interfacility transport market, which is just getting a, a lot more, there's a lot larger market up here as more retirees move to the area for interfacility transport. So I think it would be a good blend. And then all three entities, us and the two privates would have backup agreements to ensure that we, we cover the area. And that's how it should work. It sounds like a great idea to just say, we'll do it ourselves, but I know that you've, you're a fire district, so you have a board you have to be responsible to. 
where do they stand on all the necessary apparatus and staff you have to hire for this? Our board is supportive. Our initial ARCR, the Ambulance Reporting Cost Recovery Form, as part of our application, shows us operating in the red in the first year approximately $30,000, $30,000 to $36,000, which for a startup, when you're purchasing equipment and you're, you're adding all of that in, is, is not bad, really. Now, you've had this job for a while, but when you first took it, you weren't dealing with ambulances. Even though this is a vital part of the fire chief's job nowadays, do you feel like this whole thing is taking your attention away from something else that you need to be concentrating on? No, I think I've been able to balance it pretty well, and we have a fantastic staff, so Mine is my job is to try to bring attention to it to the situation through the elected officials, which I'm doing anyways on any number of things. Has it added to my workload? Absolutely. Do I feel like I'm balancing that effort right now? Yes. Am I getting out to the stations like I'd like to uh, to get around and visit with some of the crews? No, I'm not. It, this has taken up too much time. Every time I think I'm going to be able to. I end up with another ambulance issue crossing my desk that I have to address. Well, we'll keep track of it and hope that you resolve it the way that you want to. Scott Freitag, thanks so much for joining me on Code 3 today. Hey, thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure talking to you. I hope you had a great Christmas and have a wonderful New Year. CAFMA's social media campaign to rally the public-supported needs is really impressive. I put links to the agency's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page on our website at code3podcast.com slash CAFMA. That's C-A-F-M-A. So check it out. While the battle is not won yet, I think Chief Freitag's efforts are very effective based on the public comments I've seen. It's a good example of how to mobilize the people you serve when you need their support. If your department has a problem that calls for the public to take action on your behalf, take a look at how Captain is doing it. And make sure the right people in your department listen to Chief Friday's interview. Make sure they hear this podcast. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.